Hello people, welcome back to the podcast. As usual, this intro isn't being recorded on the same day as the podcast, and even if I did film it directly after the podcast, I probably would forget what we spoke about. However, I would say this is one of these conversations that I just came away from with like a weight taken off my shoulders. I felt like my my head was just freer. And I knew I was going to have a good conversation with Adam. I think he's very similar to myself. We've got a very similar journey into PTing, very similar outlooks. Two guys that are PTs that just want to help people and genuinely just get them started on a journey that will make their lives better instead of focusing on getting to this end goal or selling you this dream of losing X amount of weight or getting X amount of muscle and it fixing your life. We just very much agreed on that that philosophy. And I just it just felt like chatting to someone I've known for ages. It's, it's, it's a weird feeling doing this podcast and then every now and then you meet someone and you just go, I want to have them in my life. It's the same way I've found myself in this studio Dale and James who have been on the podcast loads, this is Dale's studio, I work out at Dale's gym. I met them because I asked them to come on my podcast and they've became two really good friends, not business partners or anything like that. So it was class to just have someone on that I really got on with and had a good chat about life. If you don't know who Adam is, he's... A PT, but he mostly makes mobility videos. There's no point us even talking about mobility on the podcast, so we don't. But if you are feeling, you know, I don't know, feeling a wee bit stiff, feeling like you need the lubed up, like he always talks about, then definitely go check him out on Instagram. We don't talk about any of that, so you won't even get a feel for how good he is at actually getting people to have fun with mobility and improve their mobility, so go check them out. Also, if you're new to the show, if this is the first time you're listening to it, episodes are out every Tuesday at 7 in the morning. Sometimes you might learn something, sometimes you might lose brain cells, but all I try to do is have a fun conversation with someone I want to speak to. Sometimes I don't, sometimes sometimes the odd person, I'm like, I don't know if this is that good a chat, but... 9 out of 10 times it's a good chat. So 7 in the morning, every Tuesday. Enjoy the show. Talk to me about moving to Glasgow, by the way. <laughs> when I, I was like, this guy is intensely English, so I was like, I'll just message him on the off chance he might be in Glasgow one day. And you were like, I live in Heinland. And I was like, what? Almost a year. It's funny, someone described me the other day as like violently English. Oh, it's like, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. pretty why? much where I was going with that. Yeah. <laughs> why, why would some violently English man subject himself to Glaswegian culture? Obnoxiously English. Obnoxious English, yeah. Like, I, to be honest, yeah. I love it. Like, I, um, I've lived in like quite a lot of cities and Glasgow is a good one. But I think like any city, it's really based on like the environment and the people you have around. All the fucking cities are the same, but mm-hmm. actually, like the city centre isn't what makes the city. But I lived in London before, and that's one city that isn't like anywhere else. That place is fucked. It's torture, mate. I don't understand how people do it. And I lived there for maybe like three years, and wouldn't have done if I hadn't like lockdown hadn't happened. But in London, just starting P 
PT, exposing myself on I'm Instagram. Shivers, yeah, like, thinking about like, it. PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, I've, I've just about said like exposing myself on Instagram. I don't mean literally getting me kit off, although I don't. I'm not far off that to be fair at this point. But um, yeah, I my my girlfriend now we've been together for almost like three years. She lived in Glasgow for like five six years. But my best mate I used to live with in Leeds, he got a job in Glasgow and they ended up living together. So I kind of knew who she was, had met her once or twice, but nothing really happened until I started posting me face on Instagram. We started messaging each other a little bit. She came to London. It's actually quite amazing. My mate Ryan, God bless this boy. He's a knobhead, but God bless him. He messaged me one day saying, Ma, my girlfriend is in London. You should message her. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, like, nervous little boy was like, I'm not doing that sort of thing. Like, that makes my yeah. skin was so bad at approaching women. And he called me the next day and went, she is in London. Message her. <laughs> and I was like, this man is really fighting for this at the moment. And, and I did. And you owe that, that guy something. I owe him nothing. No, I'm kidding. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's a knob. He's a knob. And I love him, but he's an absolute knob. But he's... Again, like, like any best mate, best mate probably going to be a knob. But again, you're absolutely loving and adoring. But he had my back more than anything. We spent that weekend together and mate, I was just in love of her from like the moment. Like proper cliche, cheesy story. And we were just from that moment, we were just together. The next weekend, I came up to Glasgow. Two weeks later, she came back down to London. We just committed to being like, okay, we're in this. But like 18 months of us being together, thought we were going to move to London. That was not going to be a good idea. But imagine you did. Mm. Oh, the stress, like... I know so many people have moved to London as a couple and are no longer couples. Am I right saying that you, you, you said you lived there for a bit, didn't you? I lived there for nine months. I was also born in Hammersmith, as you can tell by the accent. Oh, it really was giving me Hammersmith vibes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is this a man from my end? Like, this guy why, are you there, why are you there in the, for nine months? Short period of time, quite a flashing oh, visit. I was going to say, why are you born there? Because my dad... <laughs> my dad impregnated a woman. <laughs> Actually, I'm dead. Really, believe was. it or not. <laughs> they came back to London. I love you know that. I've right? been told this before. <laughs> I was like, why do you know the specific day? And he was like, it didn't happen very often. <laughs> a man of honesty and integrity. <laughs> um, why did I move there? Strong so I, conversion rate, sorry. <laughs> I, I came back from Australia. I lived in Australia for two years and I lived in Sydney and Melbourne. And I notoriously hated Glasgow. Like, I just, But I would have hated anywhere I lived at that point, being young, dumb and whatever. I just, and I used to go to London for work all the time because I'd done a sport called freestyle football. So like all the big events were usually in London and one of my best mates lived in London as well. So I would go down there, I would spend all the money I made from the get, like I got paid like 400 quid and I would have a bender in London. And I'd be like, London's class. <laughs> it's amazing. There's, a, there's always so much to do or whatever, but all there is to do is drink and go to the pub. That's genuinely, I don't think there's anything else to do. Um, so I, when I came back from Australia, came back into the first and second lockdown and I always knew I was going to live in London and then I went down and it was the opposite of, it's a, it's like living in hell. It's it's actually hell. Great to visit, shit to live. Yeah. It's good for a weekend, but yeah. don't think, like if you were to even see, well, I would say anyone, see your two days you're going to spend there, do a week. Well, then I'll tell you. Yeah, 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 try living your life there. You know, I spent like an hour and 15 there and back each day on the tube like yeah. spending oh. so much of my life literally on a sweaty fucking box and a train it's quite funny listening to you talk about like how you felt like, about hating glasgow i think it's quite funny of where people are from like people either really love where they're from they really desperately want to set their life up or they have that sort of like negative connotation and i definitely have more of the sort of negative side that pushed me to sort of get away mm. and london's quite similar to where well not similar but close to where i'm from but lifestyle just are I'm you like, from essex from essex originally so middle of fucking well not middle of fucking nowhere but 
quiet little village. I've only been to South End on sea and I never want to go back. My grandparents from South End. My mum's from South End. That place is scary. Yeah, it's funny. Great, the great uh, amusement park there, Adventure Island. I've seen that. I don't oh, know mate, sensation! The only redeeming quality. Sorry <laughs> to anyone if you're from South End. Like, so my family comes from there. But yeah, no, it's uh, never wanted to like stay there and live there. But London was something else. And I think you know, I, I, most of my friends really live in London. I've got like an amazing support network. My family is there as well. But I've never felt so isolated. And it's so ridiculous how you can be surrounded by so many people. But it's the only place in the world where someone would message you on like a Tuesday and go, do you want to go for a drink after work? And you have to travel 50 minutes there and 50 minutes back to do it. And it's like, why do I want to spend the entirety of my life doing that? And I didn't. So yeah, we, we sort of, going back to your point of like how I came to Glasgow, my missus job is in Glasgow. I had a PT business. I was working as a face-to-face personal tra- training at the time. I operated in a studio. But my like, with rent and everything, to just break even in a month, I had to earn 1,500 pounds to just break even. Uh, sickening isn't it and then put on top of that like traveling to to and from glasgow trying to maintain a long distance relationship i didn't have a life and it was fucking horrible so we we decided to give up here a punt last november so it's almost a year now i mean i i I love it minus the fucking weather i think you've probably had the exact same like if you moved to glasgow straight from essex and hadn't lived in london you might feel differently but see when i moved to london after nine months i moved back and i love glasgow I had a whole new appreciation for it, whole new appreciation for the people, whole new appreciation for Loch Lomond being right there. It's It's amazing. Whole new appreciation for like how close like the city centre, like the West End is literally next to the city centre and it's like, it's almost like a different city. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know that I'm, I'm not a West End snob, but I do like going down there every now and then. I am because I'm obnoxiously uh, English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I fit right in. Yeah. Yeah, you must have just slotted right I, in there. I run around skipping, going, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and then my dogs are like, oh, I can tell he's friendly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I really like it, mate. But yeah, I, I, lived in quite, I lived in Leeds for seven years. That would be quite similar, I'd imagine. Very similar. I think Leeds is quite, you know, I think quite a lot of similarities across quite a lot of cities in the north, where it's like Leeds, Manchester, Newcastle, Liverpool. Even Bristol, I think there's quite a lot of similarities. Great city. Um, Really enjoy them. And truthfully, I'm not a city boy. So that's one of the things I love about Glasgow. Like you said, Loch Lomond is like a 40 minute drive. From you, it must be like well close, like 25, 30 minutes you can probably get to Loch Lomond. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And I think you really get that sense of you have the city, 15 minute train ride in if I want to, actually probably a little bit less, but I can fuck off and get into the middle of nowhere in no time at all. I don't think you get that really many other places. Mm. Yeah, it's been really kind to me, mate um don't know how long i'll be here i don't know if it's home what about you you see yourself staying here long yeah long-term? i think so now yeah. yeah i want to like get to the point where i could maybe have like a holiday home somewhere quite mm. nice or whatever but i i spent all my 20s wanting to like just try other places and i got it i think i got it out of my system if you know what i mean i now i feel quite settled so i, I was in australia three months ago so <laughs> i know so if my dad heard me say this he's like he's fucking he said this shit before <laughs> Don't listen to him. Talk to him in six months. He'll have a whole different. But I, I just, I do. Well, that's why I said to my dad. That's why I came home. I had six months left on my visa. I never came home when I had time left on my visa. The first time mm. I stayed to the very end. I came home because I wasn't really. Every route to stay in Australia was like, get a job and get sponsored. I like my job too much, and I like what I do, and it gives me purpose in life. If I went back to a job, I would lose the plot straight away. Makes you appreciate what your values are, doesn't it, when you put yourself yeah. in different environments? So I, like I said, lived in Leeds for seven years, did my old job for a long period of time. Yeah, tell me about that. What was that? So 
it's charity oh i obviously know what it was because i've spent an hour watching all of your <laughs> videos about it yeah so obviously i know a lot of people won't but i think most people in the uk will have interacted with a charity fundraiser probably you probably me yeah if anywhere across the north england but you stand on the street you represent a different charity and you stop a human being and your job there and then within a couple of minutes is to build a relationship with that person and inspire them to donate their hard-earned cash to a charity they probably don't know about through like their bank details and i did that i worked in the industry for seven years so for the first three years in and out of doing uni i worked like part-time but i was on the street every day but the last like four or five i worked as a manager so my job was to actually like hire people and train people to do that so i'm sorry to everyone that's been <laughs> inflicted by that <laughs> I do say that kind of jokingly because uh, honest to God, it was the life defining experience. I really believe that every single person worked in that industry or like a sales industry for, for six months of their life. They would have a newfound appreciation for like the grit and resilience that it takes to get knocked down constantly and still pull yourself and get back up. But also just like how to build a relationship with a human being and how to communicate, especially as we become like more disconnected even in the world of like social media where you are connected constantly but actually don't interact with people it's like invaluable right and I, I loved it for a period of time but it wasn't what i ever wanted to do and i got like the sunk cost fallacy is really real oh my god it's so real whether it's like your relationships whether it's your job whatever it is you're doing the longer you are in it the more of a part of your identity it becomes and they become really like meshed together and it becomes really difficult. And I think this is quite a cultural thing for us. And I don't know if you feel the same, but like our jobs in the UK are such a part of our identity. It's one of the first questions you ask someone when you meet them, what do you do for a living? Because I think you can tell quite a lot about that person. It also gives you yeah. the ability to build common ground. So it became like a massive part of my identity. But it's never what I wanted to do. But I kept succumbing to the dangling of carrots. Like any time, I tried to quit that job seven times in seven years. What was happening when you were quitting? So I tell my boss, like I'm really unhappy. It always when I hit a low point. And I think like anybody, low points perpetuate change because you have a moment where you're like, I'm fucking unhappy. And what somebody said it to me and it really stuck with me. It's like, it's only when the idea of staying the same becomes more uncomfortable than changing where you'll actually change. That's interesting. And that, that really that, stuck with pe me. People say, yeah, I, I wish I had the, like people say to me i wish i could have done what you done like that's so scary and i was like yeah but i was at a point where what i was doing was more scary than going for it like yeah. i was working in a call center and i'd done loads of shit jobs and the thought of going back to any kind of work like that was way more terrifying than potentially being a bum and no one listening to me on social media and like getting no clients that was more scary to me i was like spending way too long in the shower and not for the good reasons um <laughs> Just like trying to think of everywhere I could get out of work. And it was, yeah, I wasn't myself. It was really, really scary. Like it's a point where if I carried on doing that, I probably would have done something stupid, like mental health absolutely plummeted. And see, when you say mental health plummeted, these were stuff that I wanted to ask you about. Like I said, I don't really want to ask you about mobility. Like like anyone who doesn't know who you are, that's what you do. Like your, your whole yeah, thing is like, yeah, getting people mobile, but you can go and watch that. But I was more intrigued about when I, like i done the thing that i do with everyone i go watch their old stuff and you looked like i don't i might be wrong but it's because i know i was in a similar position like when i first started pt and it was locked down and i'd mm. i also wasn't known as the guy that goes to the gym mm. you looked me neither a little bit like lost in life yeah. if you know what i mean but everyone was in lockdown but like also i was starting new jobs 
I just was like, he. I just know his head's in the exact same spot as me going, what am I doing and what even, like, am I saying to people? Yeah, 100%. A skinny little boy taking too many drugs, not knowing what my place was in the world. <laughs> like, I was absolutely like a lost little puppy. Um, I Yeah, I think like anybody have low points in my life. I wouldn't say I have struggled with necessarily like depression or anything maybe like clinical, but I have really hit some seriously low points. And I think often that's come with like a real lack of like purpose or direction. And that point for me was categorically the worst. Overall, lockdown was a real net positive in my life. I think because it spurred those changes. But at that point, I was living in Birmingham. Lockdown came in. My work were actually paying my rent at the time. I was like, I was really lucky. But they stopped paying my rent, obviously. <laughs> Fair enough. And I ended up having to move They're in my- bastards. bastards. How could they? <laughs> um, I was finally out of debt. Um, my sister had a spare room in London and I went and stayed with her. And I'll always love my sister for what she like gave me like that space. But living with your sibling can be tough as it is, especially when you're two completely different characters. And I go from having a job where I interact with people constantly on a day-to-day -day basis that again is part of my identity. It feeds into who I am to all of a sudden, I don't see anyone ever. And then I meant to, due to move to Bristol to open up a new office for that company. And I think like three days before my moving date, I hadn't even started looking for places. Like anytime I thought about it or opened up like spare room, I felt my skin like just start to itch and started mm. to feel that sickening feeling in the pit of my stomach. I just avoided it, avoided it, avoided it. Till it got to a point where I just found myself just walking constantly, just I couldn't get the idea out of my head of like wanting to do something stupid. Like the idea of not being on the planet anymore was really rife in my head. It was like, I don't think I ever would have really acted on it. I might be really wrong. But the thought kept coming into my head and it was the scariest thing for me. And I knew something was like, something really needs to change here because this, this is the, the most fundamental human instinct is to stay alive. And something in my head is saying, I don't want to be doing this anymore. That's such a contrast of our fundamental instinct as a human being. And I think if you are experiencing feelings of something is wrong, however that manifests, you have to fucking listen to it. Like it is trying to tell you something needs to change. I'm a real believer that for a lot of us that starts with changing environment, probably one of the easiest, I use that term very lightly, one of the easiest things to change to have a, a a drastic difference. So I called up my boss and I was like, I need to quit. The seventh time I needed to quit. And he By says, that time he's probably, hey, I fucking shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, the time before that I tried to quit, he went, do you want to go to America? I was like, yeah. Went and worked in San Diego for <laughs> three you? months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but I think like you, I'd probably be right in saying that you weren't happy where you were. You thought going to a new location would make you happy doing a new job. And there were elements of it that did, but fundamentally I wasn't, dealing with what was inside, that my trajectory was wrong, my values were wrong, I didn't know where I was headed in my life. So although the like change of scenery definitely helped, and this is part of the environment, is not just the location, but the job and the things that you do and how you spend your time and the people you spend your time with. But I called him up the seventh time. I was like, I need to stop doing this. And I remember him saying, he's like, is there anything I can do to help you? I was like, yeah, not convince me to stay. And I went, all right. And okay, I think he knew. I was just in tears. I just like I just said to him, I don't recognize myself anymore. I was almost like even just having that conversation was like a moment of, okay, actually like I have the ability to be honest with how I feel and put myself in a situation where I can tangibly change that just by like talking. Um, 
So yeah, like I hit some hit some really big lows. But truthfully, mate, since then, for the first like year, and I don't know if you found this first being a PT, my first year of being a PT is really fucking hard. Brutal. Yeah, horrible. I had less money than I've ever had before. Waking up earlier, standing in freezing cold parks at six in the morning, training people or trying to find clients. And you forget like you're not just becoming a personal trainer. You're becoming a personal trainer that's also like the head of marketing, the head of sales, like you're the head of fucking everything while trying to manage your own life as an individual that doesn't know who they are. In Mate, the you're just fried. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're absolutely fucked. Yeah, yeah. No wonder some of these are fucked. I think it's a huge burnout rate or like dropout rate in the first year. I don't know what it is, but I was happier than I'd ever been, like happier than I'd ever been. And I just felt like a real sense of, okay, although I don't really know where I'm going, kind of like the idea of like walk onto a really misty football pitch. I know there's goalposts somewhere, I don't know exactly where they are, but as I'm going to keep walking, it starts to clear a little bit. And okay, I can actually start to see those goalposts. Fuck me, you're so, good with these analogies. Yeah. <laughs> I've turned to shit now. My, like, <laughs> my brain has just been opened. I was like, I want to explain this, but that's, that's exactly what I, I was appreciate like. that, man. It felt right. Mm. Do you know what? I, I felt like I didn't need to be on a rugby pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, I've, and I, feel really, I feel really grateful and really thankful um, that like, I didn't um, continue sort of down that route. Um, but yeah, I, I really think there's something I heard, I think, and I'm awful at quoting people. I'll always probably misquote them. But I think it's a Chris Williamson talked about something called the region beta paradox. And it's really stuck with me. And the idea is like, something's just all right in your life. Kind of bad, but it's not so bad that you have to change it. You will just stay in that zone. Whereas if something is really fucking bad and makes you feel horrendous, it will force you to do something about it. So it's almost the idea that like something that's not so bad actually can end up being worse for you than something that is really fucking bad. And to me, I hit that point that was really fucking bad. And I think it's, I think it's really important for people, anyone to hit those sort of moments. I think you just gotta like listen to it and understand, okay, if I'm feeling that way, no matter how hard it is in those moments where you feel like a bag of dicks, to want to change something like what can you tangibly do to do it yeah i think because i honestly it's like so similar to me but i didn't do a job for like seven years but i'm so grateful the last job so i was when i first moved to cool australia there's a there are a few things that popped up in my head from what you were saying um and i hate like i like the way you were talking about this as well that it's not preachy it's just like this is what your life happened like because that's the way i like to come across as well it's like see if nine to five works you whatever like that's sweet but that what I liked, but not that I liked it, but I was grateful that my last job was the worst one because I quite liked hospitality and I worked there for like two or three years and I had such a laugh with people. It's what made me who I am as well. Mm. I said this same in person sessions, like this is why I get so worried for PTs that will go online and have like not done loads of different jobs or like not done any socializing sort of jobs. I don't know who people are. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. please, like, because in-person PT would be a good place. See, if you went and done 30 hours a week, you would get some chat out of it. But if you'd done, like, three months and went online, but you'd get no prior experience. Like, all my chat came from bartending. I used to just wind people up, like, Aussies. You've got to be a certain sort of type of person to last in those environments, I imagine. I've never done hospitality. But again, it's just working with people, especially drunk people, mate. They're different gravy, aren't they? Yeah, so, but like... there's so much fun to have, <laughs> they had with drunk people. Like, I would just, just try, we would just play games. Like, so we had the loosest people ever behind that. Were you in bar. Oz at the time when you were yeah, in Yeah, in Melbourne, yeah. but it was all full of, like, backpackers from, like, 
Newcastle, Liverpool, Derry, like we were all just fucking nut jobs, and like we would just try weird people out. And um, like there was a girl from Newcastle in there, and like everyone kept on telling me, "Wait till you meet Kelly," because they knew I was gonna go on with her. And like she never even said hi to me or anything. She like she looked quite gothic, so imagine like a gothic Geordie. And this Aussie guy was trying to hit on her one time, and he was like, "Oh, what are you up to tonight?" And she was like, oh, "I'm just gonna go home, have a bottle of wine." cry and finger myself <laughs> and she just stare at <laughs> stare at him dead at the eye so that was like what are we i don't know how we got away with what we would say people <laughs> like when none of us get it i think people literally knew this bar is full of fucking <laughs> but it was like the people that came were like dead materialistic it wasn't like a mm. grungy bar it was like a beer garden on the beach and people went like fucking like ralph La- ralph Lauren and shit but we were just being absolute freaks to them i would just People would come up and go, I'd be like, oh, what do you want? They'd be like, chips, and I'd go, mmm, yummy, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Just- <laughs> I think, I'd, yeah, it's funny, I don't understand how I lasted so long with charities. I think it kind of gave me a sense of, like, the boundaries that you can push and the boundaries that you can't, but I love that idea, like, that you can have a workplace that you can kind of take the piss with. And, like, yeah. there are those boundaries, but some of them can almost be pushed and be crossed. It got, gave me that enjoyment. sense of not giving a fuck about anything, like, as in, like, and just socialising. But all my, like, I would say jokes on the floor and be like, I used to say that I was pouring people's pints. Like, it gave me all my chat. All my chat came from hospitality. I think it's like a... Say say I had, like, a younger cousin that was, like, 18 or whatever, and they're really shy, and they didn't know what job to do. I would throw them in a bar. Like, I look at some of my cousins that worked in warehouses and still, like, have no chat, and I'd be like, please go into, like, some sort... Even sales or, like, hospitality. I'll like, do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. like... The, yeah. It, like, just gave me so much... I think I was quite unconfident before i've done that it's odd i think because confidence it, it sort of like manifests itself in so many different ways really and i think like i want to encourage people to be confident but also you need to have a certain level of self-doubt because if you're like blindly confident you're probably a bit of an arsehole probably a bit of an idiot but also you don't need to have a level of like self-doubt that cripples you and stops you from taking action and doing things so to put yourself in an environment where you can kind of like learn that it actually isn't that deep like it doesn't really matter like things don't have to really be that serious especially whether it's like bartending or like for me the idea of like sales I think, and charity fundraising is a really interesting one because like you're not selling anything. It's probably the only thing in the world where you take someone's money and they don't directly get anything in return. So that's why I'm really blown away at the people that can be successful at it for years. And ironically, I actually wasn't very good at it. I was better at making other people good at it. I think that's kind of where the, the idea of like coaching came from for me. It's like a natural progression of someone that liked sports, did a sports degree, did lots of coaching. What sort of combined them without really realizing it? But like there were loads of peaks and troughs for me where the longer I went in it, the less confident I became. Almost like the more anxious and more self-aware I became. And I think you sort of have to go through those peaks and troughs. But unless you put yourself in an environment where you're going to be challenged with the public, like you're fucked. Like you, you, you cannot do a job where you interact with the public without learning how to interact with the public. And it's a skill. Like you're, you're talking with a human being. And yeah, I, I, I don't personally know many other PTs. Which I'm not sure about you, like, I kind of like that in a way. I wish there's more people I knew that shared the similar sort of interests as me, but I don't know many people that do. Because you feel like I don't really see myself as like a fitness guy. And I don't know about you, but like, it's not all that's in my life. I see myself as my clients. Oh, I like I, that. I like I, that. I see myself with the same struggles. And I see myself as a regular gym goer. I've just, I'm just like maybe two or three years ahead of them. Mm. You know I what actually I mean? think that's what makes the best coach. And I think it's probably where I, I probably went wrong at the beginning. And I imagine a lot of PTs do where you see other people that are putting out a particular type of messaging and you don't really know who you are. And I think you described it earlier, looking back at my old content. And if anyone wants to go look at it, by the way, it's fucking hilarious. It's just me. Just You talk really well in it though. You, did, you. you didn't seem to have the, and I, I was probably quite similar because I used to make like vlogs and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had no, and I also just, 
I busked when I was younger as well. Singer? Like uh, no, sort of the freestyle stuff. Oh, so yeah, I used to yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to talk to so many people that were uh flying on the street. I used to go down I used to get the bus down in Newcastle because I didn't like doing it in I Glasgow. You've got some fucking skills on you, lad. I do yeah. not. It's one thing um, I can't do. I used, to, I used to go down to Newcastle every weekend because I, I had one bad experience, I remember. Some, Northumberland Street, the, Monument, that's sort of where I used to work right, up there as well. See where McDonald's is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. McDonald's used to be across from the shopping centre. Yeah, exactly so that was the best bit for me to bust me. I would get there at 8 in the morning and I would literally like try to fight people. What years were you doing that? Like, this is what I'm thinking. I was like, I might have talked to him because I used to talk to all of them There is on such the street. a strong possibility. Uh, did you ever we wear a suit past. did you have to wear a suit no so we didn't they're like gas and electric people or they work with an agency that would work right. with different but but i had a full-on argument with a guy that done miming and i they... remember they they're crazy i remember one of the geezers in uh in newcastle used to dress as spider-man and beatbox like there was uh, some of the, some of the funniest 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 uh like street performers I've ever seen f- in Newcastle. i remember having a full-on like we were nearly gonna like throw fists at eight in the morning on, on a saturday it was going down <laughs> over the McDonald's spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's my turf. <laughs> well, see if you see if you're there first and like busking rules, yeah. unwritten rules. It's Etiquette. your it's your spot, and he just started maiming. He was like that, and I was like, "What are you doing?" And he started talking. I was like, "Your axe fucked now, isn't it?" Pulling <laughs> <laughs> at the first, so you walked right into that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, How did you find out like busking? That was character building as yeah, well. Yeah, I bet it was that. But I didn't. So what I wish that I'd done then is I never spoke. So I so I had a three and a half minute show or whatever. But I would do it to music. I knew how to grab people's attention. So I I learned about people then as You're well. Like Megzin people and no. Past so it's all yeah, yeah. about all keeping the ball off yeah. the ground. But I had a full. I done it for nine years. I bet you got some talent with that because that's a fucking skill. I can't do it as much now. But if I'd done it for perfect, like yeah. a month, I would get it back. I've done yeah. like little stints, like first lockdown. I've done a little stint. Muscle memory is a real weird phenomenon, but it is a phenomenon. Well, I can. I know for a fact if I'd done it for a week, I would be able. I'd be like eighty percent as good again, which is mad because I haven't done it in like four mm. years. But I, I figured it's still out, there, man. It's still there. Yeah. It's still there somewhere. They're just my hips are a bit. <laughs> I, I, I can you help you with that. You can help me with that. Lift them up after this. <laughs> Um, I actually, when people say that shit back to me, I think like, I can't believe I say some of the stuff that I do, but anyway, we'll carry on. Like, um, what did you ask me? Fucking hell, uh, we're talking it. about like character building, how grab people's attention, but you so, wish you'd spoke a little bit more. So when I doing learned the... loads of ways of grabbing people's attention. Yeah. So I would grab, I reckon I have a skill that no one else has. I can throw a ball straight, really high. Like, like it's gonna, you know, that like what that reminds it come... me of Wallace and Gromit. I don't know if you ever saw that again, showing my Englishness here. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> episode on the moon is one of my favorite things in the world. Just like kicks the ball up in the air, but it just never comes back down. But anyway, like, yeah, that it, is a weird time. It was like, like that, on a but pin. just throwing up. So, there's no sport where you need to throw a ball and as high we'll and as straight one, as, yeah, this as, is high and as straight as possible because I, I couldn't go too far, otherwise, I was gonna have to run for it and I'd hit yeah. someone. Yeah. <laughs> so, straight up in there. And the reason I've done that is especially on Buchanan Street. Hmm. If anyone knows Buchanan Street, it sort of looks down if you stand at the top, so you can see all the way down it. Northumberland, you can see quite far as well. Oh, so if you're down the bottom and you're lobbing the ball, someone at the top is going to be able to see people that can quite see well, it. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I would yeah, do yeah. it like five times, and like people would just stop for that alone and be like, What is this guy doing? <laughs> and then I would start my show and I'd start spinning the ball on my finger mm. and then spin it on my head, and people would stop straight away. So I learned loads of ways of like stopping people. Yeah. And I would know that, see if like, this is going to sound a bit fucking Philip Schofield, but if there was 10 boys that were like between the ages of 10 or 14, 
I knew if they seen my football and I started my show, they would stop instantly. So <laughs> then I would just have a crowd of boys. <laughs> Little boys. <laughs> but if they stopped... <laughs> are we still talking about free stuff? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, we are. And they, I know if, about drawing boys, apparently, so... <laughs> Maybe not boys, men. <laughs> oh, What's the name of this podcast, Gav? Chatter sure get cancelled. Fuck. <laughs> so, if, they, if I stop them, because, like, and people would stop, the bigger the crowd is, the more likely people are to stop. So if I, if I started straight away and there was 10 of them watching me and they said something or they were like quite clear that they stopped, the quicker I could get people to get a crowd in yeah. at the start of the show, the it's more people... It's a weird people... thing of like a, a sheep effect, sort of yeah. like when you draw like people instantly, like more people come around. And it's just, thing. I started learning tricks towards the end of the show that would get people to give me money. Ah, and see okay. as like soon finale. As, yeah, yeah. And I see as soon as one person put like... And it didn't Don't matter make. if they put one pound in or like 10 pn. see if someone heard that. It, That's it, not it, what it sounded like. <laughs> sounded sus again. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was thinking like money banks of those pennies hitting. Anyway, if I learned a few tricks where people would put money in, a lot more people would put money in. So I started learning. But if I went back now, I would speak at the start or I would speak at the end. And at the end, yeah. So I never learned any sort of social skills. I just learned how to stop people and get their attention without saying it's anything. an amazing skill. And the fact that you can actually look back retrospectively and see, okay, the things that I now know, how you compare those like, skills together yeah be completely different i think um, that's how you be like i think that's how you there's a lot of people that have been peeing way longer than you that don't really understand how to get their message across or what their message is thanks mate, I and i that. but i think that's mm. from how much like your skills before i, I it was life training yeah I, I, it was odd I, I think before becoming a personal trainer i remember maybe speaking to like maybe like my mum and my dad maybe even my ex-girlfriend at the time saying like, I think I might want to give PT in a go. And this was like really early in the days of me actually starting to dabble into the gym. Like I wasn't a gym person. It's actually something that I found really fucking intimidating. And even though I was doing like a sports science degree, I I weighed 30 kilos less than I do now. So I've gained like 50% of mass at that point. And I'm still a pretty slender guy. So you can appreciate how fucking skin and bone I was. So that was like really alienating for me. It's like a gym is not a place I want to go. But even in the early days of starting to go, I thought I had this idea of this could be something that I could really enjoy. And it was, again, the classic of starting to see other people on social media as you start to get brought into that on Instagram. It was the classics like the James Smith, the Deering Cartels, the Ben Carpenters. And I was like, I don't see any reason why I couldn't do this. And as it, actually, as I started to get more disenfranchised with my last job and thought, fuck, I really need to change something, I kind of realized, I was like, fuck, actually, like, I feel like my whole life has been training for this without really realizing it. Whether it's just playing sport as a kid and team sports, whether it's the seven years in fundraising, the sports science degree. And I think for a long time, I thought I had to know everything to be a really good coach and how quickly that changed for me. I think you said it really nicely that actually I'm just trying to coach myself, but maybe two or three years ago. Like all I need to do is know that if I can just stay ahead of the people that I'm supporting and teach them what I've learned and how I've learned it through my mistakes, then actually that's all I need to do. And the message that I'll try to get across and the message you'll try to get across, it won't be for everyone because there will be people that don't resonate. And I think one of the almost full circle realizations I've had as you get lost in the numbers of Instagram or the views you get on your TikTok videos is just, if I know that I'm just trying to talk to myself a couple of years ago at the things that I've struggled with 
and get someone to maybe feel a little bit inspired or a little bit encouraged by whatever that message is, then that's a win. And if you can do that, then the numbers will probably come. But if you haven't had any interaction with human beings over your entire fucking life, you're gonna end up being a cardboard copy of everybody else that's doing the same How shit. How often has that happened? Oh my God. And I have no doubt there are people that have got so much like capability and obviously capability and ability versus your skills now are two very different things. I think what people don't realize when it comes down to, let's say like the idea of maybe like an Instagram video, your hook is not just what you say, but it's how you say it, it's your body language, it's what's going on in the screen, it's all of these things together that are really important. But there's an underlying human that you're trying to talk to. So you can have the best information in the world, but if you can't have a way of articulating it that's actually gonna like resonate with somebody, you're fucked. Get them also buy into what you're trying to say. And mm. if one thing I've been learning again is like trying to explain to them like how you understand what they're going because my message right now is mostly about people trying to lose weight and that maybe that is your goal but in order for you to lose weight and keep it off that like if you only focus on losing weight you won't do it so get, getting them to focus on the other things but so why have you put on weight in the first place what's I need, going on in your yeah, life yeah i need to talk to show them that message i need to talk about how i've done i've done mm. that for a long long time i just tried to lose weight i talked about my story where i lost two stone fry fry and apa because i thought it was going to make me shag all the birds and it didn't um <laughs> but all i done was lose weight and uh so showing them those and also they're probably going to have to go through that wants themselves to understand because they're like, nah, he's full of shit. He's just trying to say that so he can sell me something that I'm not. I'm telling you because you'll do it and it'll do absolutely nothing for you. Um, I seen you posting in the same thing about abs, like I'll do nothing for you. But then if I can grab them once they've done it once so they don't do it again. And I, that's, I actually think about where they are. Mm. And I'm like, try to get my own story and just trying to show them the light but it's really hard. You need to do it over and over again. And you need to know how I oftentimes we'll have a conversation with a client face to face. And then I'll just reword that in an Instagram post, a real human conversation that I've had. And I've got better at it from saying it to the human until I do that. I can't articulate it on a camera, can I? It's funny, actually. I think it's the thing I miss most about my life at the moment. So I don't have many of these long conversations. Love my clients. And the conversation I have with my clients are amazing. But... Now, I've spent so long really interacting with people like face to face. And since being an online personal trainer, I don't really do that anymore. And I feel quite sad about that. Like I miss that. It's such a, like a life injecting part of who I am. And I love being a Muppet on camera. I actually mm. enjoy it so much when I'm doing it for the right reasons, but actually spending more time just working with humans. And if it wasn't for moving to Glasgow, I would have, I'd still be a face to face PT because I loved it. It was just one of the best things in the world. And I think for anyone that's maybe stepping into the space, like don't feel the need to rush. Right? You don't need to rush to move online. You can do all that stuff along the side. But actually, like you said, spending a bit of time just working with humans in whatever facet that is, whether it's in sales, whether it's in hospitality or whether it's being a face-to-face -face personal trainer, there's a, there's a huge joy in actually like interacting with people that are drawn to you because of you. And I do think you naturally, there's weird sort of like psychological phenomenon that you draw people that are quite like-minded to you just through your actions in some way. Don't know how it happens, but I do think you naturally attract them. And I think the more time you put yourself in situations where you're gonna be exposed to people, like you're in that job for that reason. And if you're in that job purely because you just wanna grow social media or you wanna make loads of money, like you'll probably fucking hate it. Cause I think the idea of your satisfaction being based on 
a metric that once you achieve it, the satisfaction around it definitely mm. dissipates. You also lose your identity going that mm. way. Like I fell in the trap of the algorithm and stuff and I've seen my followers go up. <laughs> Aye, that fucking word, mate. Alg <laughs> algorithms and hooks and London. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, PTSD. Yeah, I'm sweating. No, I'm getting hot. <laughs> they're my free. And I've, what I talked about. Mine's calorie deficit. No, I'm kidding. Like. <laughs> oh, that's, there, that's definitely up there. Um, but when I came back to Glasgow, I came back into this as well. So, Dale, so that this is Dale's basically office. You've not met Dale, so no. I, I know this is some random person you don't know. He's got a mullet, basically. My man, Dale. Um, this is his office. I work out there. He sometimes has clients. I do about 10 in-person sessions a month. I just train my, I give my online clients like tune-up sessions. Um, so I'm not, I wouldn't want to go back to doing eight hours a day or whatever. Neither would I. But just little injections. Yeah, like that's you what said. I miss. And it's, I now feel like, because I've done online most of it for like two years. I just like working from the house and I'd lose the plot doing that as well. I mean, I live so, in a one bed flat with my missus who sometimes works from home and my cat and I love yeah. both of them. I love both of them. But like, I'm, you get cabin fever. Like there's only so much time you can spend staring at those four walls. And I mean, just, my thing was like, see the way you're making videos in that living room do you never go in that living room and go how can i do something in here like as in like how can i use the i've used all of these objects <laughs> i've used like my dad's back garden i don't know if you've seen any i have yeah i love you i've used everything i've used van doors everything apart from your dad yeah, yeah. Like, that's the one thing i'm waiting to see the camera uh, he doesn't like it <laughs> I've yes. tried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea of getting my dad involved in a video would be fucking funny. I reckon he probably would do it to be fair. He'd embarrass the shit I've out of me. I've posted one video of him. It was one of my mates text me. Wasn't saying, he one of the first people that you worked with them? Yeah, right? I've, I've seen that. I was talking to him last night, but this I got him to was like four or five stone yeah, during lockdown. An unreal achievement. I came back from Australia. And, he and gained to listen a lot to your son is hard. I think to actually listen to the people oh, closest to hard. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to listen to the people that are closest to you, I think is actually harder than listening to somebody you don't actually know as much because you have almost like the entire picture of who they are. But anyway, carry on. Sorry. He he would have never done that if he didn't see how hard I was working at PT. And he's seen me. I came back from Australia and I just done. I went for it. Like I done seventy hour a week. So I was posting on social mm. media. He's seen me getting a little. Like people were getting a wee tiny bit interested, and I think he just went this is the first time I've ever seen him care about something so much and that that's why he done it. But that's why I know he's a legend. Like, he just cared about... He didn't even care about the five stone, the fact he's so much further away from having another heart attack. He cared about yeah. me because <laughs> he'd had a heart now attack he's before. still standing. And he actually... Yeah, he had a heart attack when I was... Uh, when I was 14. Full heart attack, angina, what you... I was actually on this, the session when he had it. He was drinking in Newcastle for three days. So the day he had a heart attack, he also had 10 pints. But it was like... Baddy's all right, mate. Yeah. So when he stops looking after himself, I get a wee bit worried. But he's he lost like... I can't remember because I go so much between kilos and stones. But whatever it is... He was fine for me. He's lost like five stone and he's kept like four of it off, which is class. And that's What's like that? two or three years. It's like 70, 80 pounds or 70 pounds or something yeah, like that. He's kept, he's kept the majority of kilos. Off. It's amazing. Do you, do you think your dad having a heart attack and has that had any impact on you like stopping boozing? No, because he didn't, he didn't really have it from, boot. he wasn't a big boot. It just happened to be that he was on like a, he Correlation, wasn't a massive, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I look after myself because of my parents, definitely. Mm. Like I, I've learned a lot of what not to do from my parents. Do you want me asking how old your dad is? He's 57. So we're about the same age. My dad is 76. My dad's right. an older boy. So he was 47 when I was born. And yeah, like 
So I, li- I read a book uh, or listened to a book called 4,000 Weeks right. by a guy called Oliver Berkman. Like it's, the idea is that if you live to an average of 80 years old, you'll exist on the planet for 4,000 weeks. And it's actually mad when you say that. It both sounds like a lot, but also not a lot at all. And I remember it's kind of it's not really like a white knuckle seize the day. You only have this time on the planet. But it's like, look, if we're real about it, you have that much time. Learn what's important to you. And I think like having an older dad, and I'm really lucky. He's healthy. He had an angina, which is like essentially a minor heart attack. It's on heart meds. But for 76, we went to Milan a couple of years ago. It was like a family holiday. First family holiday in 10 years because we're no longer horrible fucking teenagers. Now we're actually growing up. You can do those things again. It was really fucking lovely. Like, I'm really blessed to have a good like family unit. Just walking like 30,000 steps in a day. I remember saying to him, I was like, dad, the fact that you can do that at 75 is fucking amazing. And he went, I'm not 75, I'm just my age. And I've had this weird balance of, you know, you are sort of as old as you feel and as old as you treat yourself. But also you do have this balance of a certain only time in your life. And, you know, I joke about it in my videos. I guess to come full circle to some of the mobility stuff, like I'm going to look like an old soggy tea bag at some point in my life. <laughs> and my body's going to start letting me down. That's like an inevitability. But when I'm 60, 70, like I want to be shagging. I want to be playing with the grandkids, not at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to do these things. <laughs> yeah, not at the same time. Very important. <laughs> But I think there's, when you said about like people being like, I want to lose like five stone, I want to lose this weight. Like that's just one factor of it. Like I real find a real belief in myself that we literally have one body that we're going to live in for the rest of our lives. And I heard a concept the other day. So I don't know the name for it, which is shit, but you can Google it, work it out for yourself. The idea is it's a Hawaiian concept about you don't own your dog, but you are the guardian of your dog. So you like live with your dog, you share that rather than you own it. And I kind of think the same is for our body. Like your body is just doing a million things by itself right now without you having any say in the matter, whether it's your heart beating, your lungs taking in air, all of those metabolic processes going on at any one point for you to be here experiencing life. That's doing its thing and you ain't controlling that. And I think rather than us like owning our body, we're like the guardian of it. And I'm only getting one of these fuckers, so I better take care of it. And I used to treat myself like shit. I weighed nothing. I smoked way too much for way too long. Green? Yeah, that was my big problem. Probably every day for about eight years. Mm. Yeah, long time. Probably the thing I struggle with the most. Let's and- talk about after that. Left you go for this concept. Yeah. Um, what's the third thing? You've left me on a third <laughs> finger. <laughs> 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 I fucked myself up and I treat myself really poorly. I had to get really ill. I remember having meningitis twice, put me in a coma for like three days. My brother literally saved my life and I didn't really change my life for like, the next couple of years. And I carried on feeling really depressed, carried on feeling really ill. And it was only from sort of having that like retrospective realization that when I started exercising and started feeling a little bit better, and don't get me wrong, my motivation for exercise was being a scrawny little fuck that wanted to put on some muscle, wanted to be sexy and wanted to look good. But actually it really quickly became that, oh my God, this makes me feel better. And for a real long sort of self-discovery introspective journey, realized coming to this point of, we only have a certain amount of time on this planet to live. What are my values and what's really important to me? This is the vessel that I'm the guardian of and I have a responsibility to take care of it. And sometimes it's gonna let me down, but sometimes I need to do everything I possibly can to just 
give it the best shot of having a good existence so I can be 70 and shagging and 71 and playing with my grandkids so that they're not at the same time. <laughs> you split that up. Thank you well. very much. We've done pretty bad at not splitting things up so far. <laughs> but you finally um, had a nail on the head. We all so make we, mistakes, so we, yeah. Um, we can't get confused by yeah. that one. <laughs> I think the joy about like Instagram is I can edit those bits out. Can't yeah, edit can't, can't <laughs> That's... See, see, all we're trying to do is get better at explaining this to clients. And I think you'll never stop someone from whatever their goal is of being a vanity goal to go to the gym. Mine still has vanity elements to it, and that's absolutely okay. But can we zoom out and look a little bit more on that? Like, yeah, and our job's just to, like, try to get you to do one more health promoting reason and then get you to see the value in it. And then it can start from there. And it can still be mostly vanity. But, like, I think mines was like i bought a program i don't know if you know who kino body is the grego gallagher guy he's just if you no. looked up you'd find it hilarious it's just him like the I superman physique clients has done this actually Do you kino is he a london guy nah, anyway nah, definitely he's canadian but he's like he was big in like intermittent fasting and all this and he had loads of messages secret sauce in it intermittent fasting taking the oh, piss, like. probably <laughs> um but he had loads of messages that i would completely disagree with now but he basically just got me to go in the gym and like all I heard, all I needed to hear was progressive overload. And then I started like putting more weight in the bar instead of treating the gym as um, losing weight. Mm. And that one thing started me going, all right, how do I then get more weight on the bar? And I was like, oh, my sleep matters. And then it just started promoting like little health things. That I didn't, I was still pure vanity, still all of it, but I just you. started started a domino effect i've seen you talk about with your clients that come to you for weight loss the idea that we're not going to talk about weight loss for the first month but i'm going to get you exercising and i'm a real believer in that like actually yeah. let's look at one health promoting behavior where you're going to feel the benefits of it which indirectly of us talking about nutrition will probably make you be considerate of what you're eating on a day that you've gone to the gym and you feel a bit better and then you'll go to bed a little bit better earlier sleep a bit better feel a bit better wake up in the morning instead of going to mcdonald's you might make yourself some oats or something like that and next thing you know just from one of your behaviors you've had this huge domino effect and you start to find it more manageable rather than saying we're going to do this and 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 completely overwhelming somebody um and i think that's really important i can't remember what the point of that was gavs but you just got me on something now it's like yes that's really fucking important that's been my biggest change this year has been like, and I, I'm honestly always increasing calories as cl when clients come on. I'm not really as a, a decrease in calories, even if they've been eating more before, if they've like, a lot of times when people come on on a Monday, they've had two takeaways on the Saturday and Sunday and go, why, is, why have I lost five pounds? I was like, did you have a Chinese at the weekend? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why. But people like chronically under eat whenever they try to lose weight as well. And I always, because they always either are losing weight rapidly or trying to diet or not giving a fuck at all. I'm like, we need, I'll teach you in the middle. Mm. I might also get you to eat to like think about getting stronger and that being like talking about the one thing that's a health promoting factor. So I have a bit of a theory about starting with like a fitness sort of journey. I don't think I've ever said this much like out loud. So I'm going to see if I can actually Let's articulate this in an understandable way. Children. <laughs> When you describe it, let's <laughs> talk about adults. And well, ironically, it starts with the game I used to play as a child <laughs> <laughs> with, with my other boy, <laughs> little boys. So, not happening. Um, but yeah, so I think when I first started like working out, and I think for a lot of people, there's this idea of what fitness is versus what fitness actually is. And I've come to the real stark realization over the last couple of years that 
I am not an athlete. I'm not. I am a recreational exerciser that enjoys physical pursuits. Recovering weed addict. Recovering, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But really, like, I don't have any, it's not that I don't have a desire, I'd love to, but it's not something that is so important in my life that I'm ever going to be competing at an incredibly high level. And the idea for me that, I think if you look at the people we're subjected to of epitome of excellence, whether it be through social media, through sporting outlets, that's often like the 1%. And when you think about actual like normal distribution of like the bell curve, the fact that the majority of people are actually in the middle, but the majority of people we see at the top of their game are in that top 1%. It reminds me of a video game I used to play as a kid. Wasn't joking when I said that. Like called RuneScape. I don't know if you've heard yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. I played that game so much as, ki as a kid. But there's this Most really... people that play RuneScape never have sex ever in their life. I have a loving woman, thankfully. <laughs> loving woman. She exists. <laughs> I hope. Um, <laughs> um, I completely sidetracked myself now. Um, yeah, so the idea about this for me is like, so you have a character and you have skills that you level up by doing tasks where you gain experience points. Each skill you can level up to 99. But to get from level 92 to 99 takes the exact same amount of experience, roughly actually, not exact, the same amount of experience to get from level one to level 92. And I think actually for most people to do all of the things that you need to do in the world to really enjoy your fitness, you don't need to be anywhere near the 99. You probably need to be around 80. Once you get to that point of about 80, maybe even 70, you can probably do everything you've ever wanted to do. But there's this huge disparity between what I believe, and I imagine what a lot of other people believe as well, what fitness is. And that as you break past that 80 towards that 90 and get towards <laughs> that top 1%, you actually have to sacrifice a fuckload of your life to do that. And there's a huge amount of compromise. I think if I understood a lot sooner that I didn't have to compromise, I didn't have to sacrifice in order to just be a little bit fitter by focusing on that one individual health seeking behavior that I can nibble on down manageably into my life rather than thinking about the entire fucking malarkey of it all and feeling inadequate because I'm comparing myself to that top 1%, I'd probably actually feel a lot more satisfied Burn, wouldn't burn out as much because I'm not trying to do too much too quickly. Finally, I get a lot better results for it by just realizing that actually I don't want to be anywhere near the top percent. All I want to do is be around that 80%. So moral of the story, play RuneScape. <laughs> <laughs> don't. On your own. <laughs> so I was talking to a client yesterday and I always have like a weird period when people have been on with me for like a year where I feel like I don't know how to program for them because I've took, they've got stronger. They're at, say, like they've been through phases of losing weight, but for in order for them to keep getting stronger, they're going to have to either go f four times instead of the two or three, or the sessions are going to be a bit more intense, or we need to go through bulking and cutting. Most people don't want to do that. So I was having a conversation with a client the other day. She was like, I feel like I'm not progressing. I've not really got a goal. And I was like, right, <clears throat> I don't want to make you, like you don't like this enough to go to the gym more and like commit to mm -hmm. this as like someone who's going to do push pull legs or like something more like committed. And I was like, but the baseline level of strength you've got, you can keep that up without going as much as you went. You could do two full body sessions. Maintenance a lot easier than getting it, isn't it? Yeah, or, yeah, or go one full body mm. session. I was like, 
why don't you, <clears throat> this is what I'm saying about me being two or three years ahead of them. I was like, why don't you try, and I don't care if you go with a different coach, why don't you try a different type of training, whether it be like CrossFit or yeah. like some sort of gymnastics yeah, thing or some, sport, yeah, yeah it's, or the hydrox thing or anything. Mm. And like, if you've done one or two full body sessions a week, everything we've worked on, you'll just maintain it. There's no reason for you to add 20 kilos on your deadlift. Like, what are you going to get out of it? Yeah, I, I got really lured into that quite early on. The idea of I really wanted to be strong on a squat and a deadlift, but it actually has very little transfer over into my life. There's yeah. no time ever I need to pick up something that's over 150 kilos apart from when I'm deadlifting. And yeah, I think it's interesting. I I've, I found that with myself. I had a client recently who left. And then Becky, she's incredible. She's been with me for a year. Her goals at the beginning were to really just like look at having a healthy lifestyle, getting into the gym. Obviously, it was underlying aesthetic things, but they weren't like number one, like improving mental well-being, et cetera, et cetera. And we kind of hit a point where she was like doing all the things she wanted to. She'd gone from not going to the gym, taking 10,000 steps, eating a bit better, a bit more protein, a bit more sleep, a bit of stretching. Now she's smashing the gym three times a week and doing all these things. She went on holiday and I said to her, I want you to think about like, what do you want to achieve in your fitness? And she basically came back to me and was like, what I'm doing now, but just more of it. I was like, good. I actually think some people are like, you don't need a goal. Actually, the point is to get to a point where you don't feel like you need a goal. Like you're you're in that routine and you're in that moment. Your goal is just to stay where you like, stay where you are. Yeah, yeah Co okay. coast. I call it to clients as well. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with coasting. What was this like weird feeling? I find myself getting pulled towards it. Always have to be better. Always have to get better. Always have to give like more and more and more. I saw a great video of this guy talking about like an employer being like, we've noticed your productivity's down. He was like, yeah, I'm not working as hard. He was like, why? We expect 100% of our, our our employers, and he's like, well, nothing in nature gives 100%. I'm happy where I am. It's like, you will affect your ability to earn hundreds of thousands more in your life and promotions down the line. He's like, I don't care. Like, I'm <laughs> fine. Like, we don't always have to be better at something. Actually, it would be nicer if we, and for me especially, I'm at a point now with the gym where I've tried to do five days a week, tried to do four days a week. And actually my sweet spot is between two and three days a week. Anytime I try to do more, I just sack it off. Can't be asked. And I, I don't stick to it. And then I feel shitter about it. And I'm at the point now where I'm getting a bit stronger. Sometimes it goes down, sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, but I just enjoy training. And I think actually isn't, can't that just be the goal? To just enjoy what you're doing and get to a point where you are kind of coasting at what you're doing? Do you think the industry makes you feel like that? I think life makes you feel like that. I don't think it's an industry for specific things as so much as it is a life specific thing. If like that, like- A human nature. Yeah. Or a culture. So. Mm. I think both. I absolutely think both. I think from a human nature perspective, if you look at evolution as a whole and how much the human race and, and life has just absolutely changed and just exponential growth. I had a really crazy statistic a long time ago. The distance from the Wright brothers flight to the moon landing was something like 69 years. It's already been like 75 plus the moon landing. And you think about the technological advances that happen within that 69 year window and you think about what's happened post that, it's a nature thing, like nature's driving us to that, but it is also okay to not be pulled along with that and to actually say that this is the bubble I want. Like, and I think understanding what your values are in your life. You know, I, I recently signed up with like a business coach, um, Mr. Dan Meek, biceps and banter. Oi, oi, lads. Mm. Um, yeah, really like nice guy. And really early days, one of the first things he got me to do was like basically write out what I want of my life. And it made me realize like, you know, the, the, the things that are more important to me than excessive business growth is just having time to spend with my like my, my family, like my, my girlfriend, my cat, the things if I want to grow If you think back life. to when you wanted to do that as well, you probably are already in the spot that you wanted to be in yeah. for the reasons you, you wanted to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong. There are things you, I want to change. One of the nicest questions somebody ever asked me was like, I, I think it was at a conference. Can't remember what it was. I've only been to a few. Um, 
It's like, what do you want your life to look like? And it's not like margaritas on the beach, because that'd be fun for like a few days. And I bet you found that when you were in Australia, didn't mm. it? Like it's fun for a short period of time, but there's only so many times that you can live that same groundhog day life. Two years. Pints. <laughs> but it's a great fucking two years as well. <laughs> but there's a point at which it comes where you're like, okay, that's not actually the life I want to live every single day. But write it down in detail from the moment you wake up, the things that you want to do, and you want to relive that day 80%. I wrote it out and it was like waking up and having a coffee and sitting on my deck in and going for a walk with my dog and coming home, having breakfast with me, missus, my family, whatever it might be. And I realized I was like, fuck, actually, I've got 90% of this. I was like, actually the things that are a little bit different is, you know, having a garden. I don't have a garden. I live in a one bed flat. But actually, if you look, and you can't make change in your life unless you take stock of your life already and to actually look at where you are at that moment right now. I guess it comes back to that initial point of like mental health and feeling I felt like it was wrong and taking stock of my life, it was really wrong. And I've worked harder than I have over the last few years to get to this point. But quite similarly to, I think, fat loss, I've heard you talk about this and I think you sparked something in me by talking about we need to stop talking about sustainability and fat loss because actually fat loss by nature is not sustainable, but you're getting to a point of sustainability through unsustainable means. And I definitely feel like the last few years have been synonymous with that of building the business and making the content and coaching the people and getting on a bus at five in the morning and standing in parks and pissing rain. You have to do those things to get to a point where you, you can slow down. You can slow down, whether it's in the gym because you've built to that point, whether it's in your fat loss because you've built to that point, whether it's in your business or it's in your relationship or it's in any other aspect of your life. Actually, if you take stock of your life and you know what you want and you build towards it, it doesn't necessarily have to go beyond that actually getting to that point where you can stop and slow down and go, I'm actually quite happy. Like I enjoy this. Isn't that really what like, it's about? Yeah, it dep depends oh, where you're at. saying that. Like, yeah. <laughs> it depends where you're at. And because like if someone is new, a new PT and they tell me oh, I'm working too much, I'm like, good luck. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, good luck. If you, if you, you need got, to. You have got, to. You've yeah, got yeah. a while before you can slow down and you never like... You don't slow down like we probably do work more than i don't know what your working schedule is like but it's only in the last like few months i've really just slowed down like last couple of months yeah slowed down. I, but i get more done in the time and i don't mean that i'm productive i don't want because i actually get anxiety when people start talking about productivity hacks i just mean like my videos are more effective because i've done it for three years yeah you're more like, skilled yeah yeah so the the skills are there i still absolutely watch too many football highlights <laughs> but anytime dale comes out of this room he's like Looking at me, you know, like, yeah. It's funny though, I, when you've got things to Harry's do. Game, Harry Kane scored a hat trick the weekend, you know? Well, when you've got <laughs> things to do, like, almost the most important is probably when you become most important and the thing, most interested in the things that aren't important. I remember my mate was talking about being at uni and having like a deadline for um, like one of his essays. I mean, like, all of a sudden, I'm fascinated by like the best goals Ribery scored in like the 2010 season for Bayern Munich. And I've gone like a two hour rabbit hole. And I think there's definitely like a disparity of you need to have that time. Like, you, you have to. Um, your brain is fucking intelligent, man. Because I, so I've been trying to like save a bit more money. I was just looking at my finances going like, some of these are just, there's no need. So one month, I think I spent about a grand less than usual, right? I looked on my eBay watch list. I've never done this before. I had 500 old football shirts on the watch list. I didn't, I didn't have anything on my eBay watch list before. I never had, and I never cared about old football shirts. It's just because yeah. I, I was trying not to spend money. <laughs> I was actually torturing myself. Because <laughs> you've got something that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's it's odd, isn't it? I feel like a lot of the times the way our brain is set up is almost to like make life harder for ourselves. Mm. Um, I guess that's part of like 
cliche, but part of like growth and, and, you know, developing the person that you are is overcoming those challenges. And without any challenge, there's no growth, is there? And I think all of the things that have led you to be like a personal trainer or me come from a personal trainer have come from like an area of personal development, of personal like inquisitiveness as to something that's not necessarily wrong. But definitely, you know, I don't want to be too, again, like white knuckle about it. Like, but adversity is what creates that. And even a small example of you, like wanting to save money, the idea that that's a challenge. Like, somehow I think our brain does try to make some things more difficult for ourselves. I think as much as you can potentially do, possibly do to make that a little bit easier for yourself, just take that pressure off. It's really fucking important. Yeah. So this is not, this is a, a weird segue because it's not to do with what you just said, but I've been thinking about it since your like four rants ago that you had. Um, I feel like we take too much advice off quote unquote successful people. So I'm, I, I reckon these days I take a lot more. I see if I meet someone and they're happy and chilled out, I like try pick their brains now way more so like even coaches see the coaches have been doing it for like 10 years and are like quite chilled out i'll take their advice well before i take someone who's making a shit ton of money or well before i take someone's advice who's got getting loads of followers mm. they're the people that i'm more interested in because i said this when i was on a podcast i think that the biggest lesson that one of the biggest lessons that I learned last year is I listened to like loads of those high performance podcasts and know everyone was miserable and everyone was saying how much it wasn't worth. And although I've never worked to a goal as big as theirs, I've had many goals and I've felt the same, mm. like when I've really strived for something and, and convinced myself that's like my main mission in life and then got it, it's not felt good. I know like listening to Johnny Wilkinson, have you listened to that one? I haven't, but I know quite a bit about him. Oh my God. Obviously I'm English, you know, Let, and a rugby fan. Yeah, so. mate, he compares, he's basically went so woo-woo, he's went turbo woo-woo, mm. and he's, it feels like he's lost the plot a little bit, but he compares winning the, he said winning the Rugby World Cup, but he didn't say it in like a stoic way. Mm. He was like, it's like washing the, dishes but you just went off in this rabbit hole it didn't like you're not in your head but it didn't make any it didn't like feel like oh he's like that's a nice it felt like he was actually like tortured by the whole winning the rugby world cup thing i really believe when you pin all your happiness on a particular point reaching a certain level like Mm -hmm. you're gonna fuck yourself up because the moment you achieve that you realize that it wasn't what you were searching for the whole time and you're gonna end up looking for the next thing anyway and it becomes like an incessant chase and i think goals are really good but can you not enjoy just getting there as well how do you change that in somebody that's a perpetual overachiever i, I work with people like I have one of my favorite people in the world she's amazing named molly she's one of my, my first ever clients she is a perpetual overachiever and how hard she's working to undo the work of herself of what she's thought life was about and it's like i definitely found it i worked in this old job where you're value was dictated by the success of you as an individual or your team and your region that you manage and each day you get a number on a paper which says you did good you raised x amount for charity and i set myself these goals of getting a promotion reaching a certain pay level and there was another one i can't even remember at that point within that year i worked so fucking hard it's like 11 to 12 hour days every day just constant mind consumed by this so then at the end of the year, having achieved all of those things, look back and thought like, actually, fuck, like, what, what, what am I doing? But where you, and I think we're constantly reinforced by the feedback we get in the world. And if you're getting feedback from something, 
for instance, Johnny Wilkinson, part of your identity, you're getting all of this success. You're, you're the higher performer. Every time you perform a bit better, every time you do well in a game, you get this dopamine feedback, which doubles down into that. I'm this perpetual overachiever and I need to do this in order to seek pleasure and to seek happiness that you're like, you're wiring your brain to feel like that that's what you need to do. And I definitely think again, back on the earlier points of, is it a culture thing? Is it a nature thing? I think it's an all sort of thing. Like we all live with our generational traumas of things that we pick up from our parents, from our peers, whatever it might be, or our individual circumstance. Like, you know, I, I don't know you Gavs, like you're made up of 28 years of life circumstance and experience that I don't know and don't understand. And the same for me with other people. But I think if you can just, and not even from a stoic point of view, but like goals are great. I think they're amazing. I love having them. I've had them. They've been incredible drivers, but they don't need to be the pinpoint of your happiness. And if they are, you're probably going to fuck yourself up. You get better at setting them. Mm. Even just setting the right ones. Yeah. And I think as well, like, it's okay to not have any. <laughs> it's okay to not have any. Nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you if you don't want to be going for that next promotion. There's nothing wrong with you if you don't want to be performing at your absolute fucking best all the time. If you are happy where you are right now, I think you've got a better quality of life than someone that's at the pinnacle of their game but's fucking miserable because they're always chasing that next thing. I guess that comes down to like value and perception. Yeah. It's more, I think what I was trying to get at, I know like I'm literally just like splurging out my brain because I like oh, I a lot of loads it, of these yeah. points are things we've deeply thought about. This is like a new one. Like I, I'm, I really want someone like a, a book or something to come out that's really popular. That's just about like an average life, but an average like happy life. That's what I've been thinking about. I want there to be something out there that isn't a book by Stephen Bartlett or like this high achiever, just someone that like didn't spend too much money, made all right money, worked on, went to the gym a little bit worked on like their trauma or whatever ended up in a decent relationship had a few kids had a semi-detached house drove a fucking ford fiesta but were happy do you know what i mean like a book like that and let them talking about the mistakes and what led them to maybe i'm making up this person i drive a ford fiesta maybe it's me <laughs> This is your moment, Gav. Yeah. This is it. Maybe I'll start writing a book. Yeah. Maybe you should. <laughs> I'll get to work. Fuck I'll off, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like a TV show about like normal people, isn't it? But I, I, yeah, it's odd, isn't it? We're we're like fascinated by the most obscure people in the world. Like I think like Michael Jackson, as an example, is like one of the most obscure people I think that I can ever think has existed. Obviously, one of the most talented in terms of singing, but people were like fascinated by him. And I think there's a real level of attracted to obscurity and the extremes, whether it's as an example, like Jeremy Kyle and Jerry Springer or the Stephen Bartlett's. There's something about that that is so alluring. And I think it comes from that point of abstract normality when you actually think about normal distribution of how much averageness there is in the world. Like, the average is great. It's not exciting. Yeah, yeah. But can it be? Like, mate, there is a way that that book is fucking unbelievable, I'm you know? Start yeah. <laughs> I can't fucking wait to hear the it. average life, mate. I really believe that as well. And I think that's quite a bit, but like, it's really important for my messaging. It's like, I want people to understand that you don't have to do the splits. You don't have to squat 150 kilos. You don't have to spend hours of your life dedicating to these practices. But you can move a little bit more and do a little bit more and 
gain the benefit from it and it doesn't have to be fucking boring and it's all right to not want to achieve groundbreaking brilliance. If you want to do that- Do you think we're just trying to make ourselves power. feel better because we're average? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it, so I'll just tell you how good my life is. It's easier to bring everyone else down and build yourself <laughs> up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. And you know what? Like, There's definitely an element of truth to that, guys. I think that's absolutely a truth about it. But like, isn't that okay if you really think about most people's situations in the world, that there is a lot more averageness than maybe we, we're sort of led to believe by that uh, weird distribution of what we're exposed to. But there's also this crave for like excitement. Like to actually just admit that, like, it's all right. I'm, I'm, I am me. Instead of me comparing myself to that person, actually, how can I just make me maybe a slightly better version of myself, but based on value and purpose, rather than based on some made up societal standard that you should have, like, I don't know. Explain what you mean by text. value and purpose. Long pause. It's fine. If people are going to listen to us for an hour, they can listen to 10 seconds of you pondering this deep question. Tickling my nipples and stroking my <laughs> non-existent beard. Something that makes you want to wake up in the morning. Something that makes you want to do the things that you do. So striving for that, like understand. Because mm. that's like, that's why personal training is working for us mm. because that's what it's gave us. Mm. There's no way that my, jo my job's not perfect. Some of my clients sometimes have said stuff that have made me want to tear my hair out, which has happened to every PT and their struggles. This job's not easy. I take on a lot of mental, like there's a lot of mental stuff that I take on from clients like mm. that if they are going through an emotional time i definitely take on 10 percent of that and then if i've got a lot of clients i take on a lot of 10 percent mm. but i wake up with a reason like i understand why i'm doing it like every time i've went down rabbit holes with the algorithm mm. i forgot about i'm doing it to help people not just get loads of people who would see my face hard to recognize that in the moment though isn't it that, like but spend. no, but I, I do recognize it because mm. I'll start losing myself mm -hmm. and I'll start losing my identity and it'll, I'll actually want to stop making videos. And as soon as I want to stop making videos, I'll go, okay, right, I'll be making the wrong videos. That's usually what it is. I or making too many, but it's usually I've went down the rock, making the wrong ones. Have you ever, like, because you, you've obviously popped on social media, have you had any struggles with the ups and downs of that or have you dealt with that quite well? I'd had quite a few periods, especially in the first like year or so of not really knowing what my message was and feeling like I was spouting other people's words. How did you get into mobility? Because at the start, you were talking about the exact same stuff as I was talking about at the start. Just like, get outside, go walk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, which is good. It's fine. But like you went, you then deep dived into like mobility. I think there's a few sides. I initially started with that sort of messaging because mental health was kind of the real reason of getting into fitness. And I never struggled with my weight. If anything, I struggled with my weight being the opposite side and being like too skinny and that having implications on my health. So the idea of when I spoke about nutrition stuff, I felt like a real fraud. And when I spoke about like mental health stuff, I didn't necessarily know exactly how I wanted to articulate that. So it's more it's just also about, quite a scary, you don't want too many people taking your advice on mental health. Big topic and so individual for so many people. And I think like you said, it's all right to talk about our experiences and that's what I want to do. Talk about my experiences, not tell anybody else how to live their life. But when I actually got deeper into fitness, I guess there was two sides. You know, like the sort of the swimmer's body analogy side 
uh, for me, I think about, so I played a lot of volleyball growing up. That's probably the sport I played the most do of. that, by the way. So I was playing that every week in Australia and I was walking around Sean's the other day and there's a social volleyball thing if you ever want to do it. And Man, no one, I, that's my sport. Like, no, one, no one would come with me that. and I, I, I like... I can't I was, respect you right now, but I'm going to tap your foot because yes, I'd love to. Two years. days a week I was playing it in Australia. I loved it. So like, that's probably one of my most amazing like sport, like proudest like, accolades. So... I trained with England for like three years. But what's funny about that is like, how many people in the world do you meet that play volleyball? So it's like, I was one of the, the only 20 people that were playing it back then. But like, I, was, I wasn't one of the smallest people on the team, but I was nowhere near the tallest. And I went to school with a lad called Sonny, who was six foot eight at 15. And really early on, understood that you can't teach someone to be tall, but you can teach someone to be good. So people have a genetic advantage of someone being tall or someone small being a jockey. You know, that's never really going to change your likelihood or genetic potential to achieve well at that sport. I've always been quite flexible. So that flexibility is like a perceptive for people of like the mobility side kind of led me into it. But what I really struggled with was injury. And I struggled with something called hypermobility. Like roughly one in four people deal with some kind of hypermobility. And it's essentially just like an excessive range of motion across your joints. But the way I think about most people, like all things in life, we live on a spectrum or a continuum. And you have people that are really inflexible and people who are really flexible. People who are really inflexible should probably work on their flexibility. People who are really flexible should probably work on stability. And I had to work on stability a lot. So I started going down the rabbit holes from like in dislocating my shoulder, had a suspected hernia, like my hip and my lower back are giving me loads and loads and loads of troubles. I like this mobility sort of rabbit hole. And I started finding when I started actually adding some of the stuff into my gym routine rather than just doing squats or just trying to do a bench press. Like, when I, re when I stopped bench pressing, I actually started doing what felt good for me and started incorporating shoulder stability and shoulder mobility exercises. I was like, fuck, actually, I can exercise. I'm not broken. This is what I need to do. So I started talking about it a little bit more. And I, I, made, I remember making a video, like basically calling the internet prawns. I was like, you're sat like a prawn right now, aren't you? Because at the time, I really believed that like posture had a massive impact on like back pain. I've learned since that it doesn't, and there's no such thing as a good posture. People are just born with a the posture. There's a huge amount of posture variability and our spine is designed to move. But sitting still is really bad. And that was what caused me a huge amount of problems. I needed to improve my mobility. And what I really care about is where people realize mobility isn't just like your bendiness, not how flexible you are. Depends on your definition of mobility, but really a lot of people talk about the ability to have control of your joints over a large range of motion or a particular range of motion. For me, it's just your ability to move freely and easily. It's a broad sense. Without pain and struggle. Or with minimal pain to do what you need to do. So as an example, like if I understand what I want to do in my life, does my mobility currently restrict me from doing that? Yes, and I should probably improve my mobility. But that could be flexibility, could be stability. It could be your balance, could be your strength. It could be your endurance, could be all of these factors that impact your, your mobility or lack of mobility. So I started just going down rabbit hole. And I think like the algorithm classic, you start diving into things and you find more people. There are people like Squat University, Tom Morrison, who I've learned so much from. He's amazing. Last time I come on the podcast before, I think I'll be able to get him on. He's, I, he, I have learned so much from that man. Been incredible. Have you ever spoke to him? No, no, I haven't. Um, and him and the uh, woman Jenny that he works with, they're like very different in terms of what they live with. Jenny being like hypermobile and, and Tom being, I think, a little bit more like stiff. But... They've like taught me loads from their work. And I started dabbling into that world. And you start regurgitating some of the information that you learned from them. 
And that's when I got response from the internet. The internet went, oh, okay, I like this. And I think one of the reasons it happened was because I started talking about stuff that was affecting me. Like all of a sudden I was talking about stuff that resonated with me. And then people went, oh, wow, this is great. And then it becomes a part of your identity because you feed into it. And it, it made me realize that when I first started personal training, you know that analogy I gave you earlier that you don't know where your goalposts are, but as you walk further, they become a little bit clearer that that's what's happened. I didn't come into the, the PT world with the idea of encouraging people to just, actually weirdly, I did do it with the encouraging people just to move more and to feel a little bit better about their health, but I didn't really know how it looked yet. And over the time of just dabbling and experience and sort of like exploring, it shaped that over time. And yeah, like that's how I ended up getting into mobility is because mine was fucked but probably not from different ways, but had a genetic advantage of mobility because of the flexibility that a lot of people will look at and be like, oh, okay, he's gained that flexibility. Like I haven't gained a lot of the flexibility stuff. I haven't had to work on my flexibility. I've had to work on my stability, but working on that has had a huge impact in like not getting injured as much. And thankfully I haven't been injured in a long time, I think because of working on stuff like that. Just a completely personal question. I want to do a pistol squat and I seen you fucking floating about your kitchen doing them. I can bust out do you have squat. any idea how to like, break that down yeah absolutely i think you got to look at it from a point Pistol of view of like, squat, by the way is just like squatting on one leg single leg squat single yeah. leg squat um i think you've got to look at what you can do and what you can't do at the moment fuck so, all compared uh, nowhere near a pistol squat you have to have a certain level of ankle mobility so knees ability to go over your toe so ankle flexibility specifically something called dorsiflexion if you want to get fancy in the the words which i don't really like using because who the fuck needs to know no what dorsiflexion cares, yeah, is yeah, yeah. how bendy your ankles are so you need a certain ability to have that you can definitely improve that, but some people's bone structure will stop them from doing that. So it's really important for people to know straight away that- uh, My okay. bone structure is fine. Obviously <laughs> don't necessarily use that as an excuse, but that may be something that you may have to necessarily work around. So could you do a pistol squat, but with your heel raised off the ground? Yeah, absolutely. But like anything, you just have to regress the exercise and make it easier. So can someone do body weight squat comfortably? Great. Okay. Can someone do a split squat comfortably? Great. Okay. Once I can do a split squat comfortably, can we get you to do a pistol squat, but with a TRX, you know, the suspension trainer holding on to stuff like that. That's where we're going to be able to spend more time in that bottom position. So as an example, like if you want to get better at any skill, I think you just have to spend more time doing that skill. So if I want to get better at a pistol squat, how can I regress that exercise that fits my flexibility and my strength that just allows me to spend more time doing that? And for most people, I'd probably say starting off by using a TRX, spending a lot more time in that bottom position, raising your heel, working on some mobility moves of improving your ankle flexibility while you're in that position. You also need to have quite a lot of like hip flexor strength for the other leg that stays up as well. So it's really individual and probably not best to explain it in like a podcast format. That's why like I also didn't want to ask you too much about mobility because you would need to be like out. I need to see <laughs> you. Yeah, I need to see you. Yeah. Like, and that's quite hard with, I think just videos in general, not videos in general, but talking about mobility in general. But yeah, what I'd say with anybody's mobility is, I, let's identify where you are now, where you want to go, and let's fill in the blanks. That's all it is. There is like no- Like how do we regress it, right? This is your regressions, work up to this point and then move on, that sort of thing. Same with anybody. And I think like, it's weird, I get asked quite a lot if I'm a physio, like I'm absolutely not a fucking physio. I'm not that smart, I don't know that information. So I do not treat injury. I don't diagnose injury, I don't treat injury. But if someone comes to me and they're like, I have pain and it stops me doing this, I go, all right, what else can we do? Like, how can we regress what you want to do, make it easier, build strength there, and then make it a little bit harder? And I think often there's a crossover because when you approach it like that, I think that's what a lot of physios do anyway. But the difference is, is rather than giving you a diagnosis, which I think sometimes is really helpful, but I also think sometimes can be really unhelpful. Like I have a torn labrum in my shoulder 
So you have like a lip of cartilage that sits over the socket, um, of the, over the ball in the socket. And mine's got a tear in it, so my shoulder just pops out if it goes into one way. And I think knowing that for so long made me feel fragile. So like that I shouldn't do this because I have this injury and I have this diagnosis. And I sort of led to believe from that idea of that I'm fragile, that I shouldn't do this stuff. And I was like, okay, every time I bench press, I get pain. But the reason I got pain is I was just lifting too much. The moment I actually just like put my ego down was like, okay, it's okay if I use three kilogram weights to do this movement, but next week I want to use four and next week I want to use five. And from taking that regressed approach with any exercise and building up, I think most people would probably find that you can get enough mobility to do anything that you really want in your life. I think that's where people get injuries so wrong, isn't it? They like, they think, oh, I've done an exercise wrong. That's why I'm injured. No, you can do like, you can fuck up a deadlift completely, but if you're training too much and you're using too much weight and you're doing it too often, then you go do a heavy deadlift. That's when you get injured. Not, not If you lift 50% of your capacity with bad form, you're going to be fine. Nothing will happen. But I think that's where people get mixed up, isn't it? And they get scared of lifting for these reasons. I get really tentative talking about this subject because it's so big. Like it's a fucking rabbit hole and you could go down and there are people that dedicate their entire lives to understanding pain and the mechanisms of injury. And I think it's safe to say I don't know the entirety, but my belief is when you exceed your body's capability of dealing with something, you are more likely to get injured. But there's so many moving pieces. And I don't think technique is as important as people think it might be. As an example, if you fuck up your technique, quote unquote, and it puts you into a position that your body's not used to, then yeah, you're exceeding the load capability of that tissue and you might injure it. But that might not necessarily be to do with just like the technique. It might be the load you're using. It might be how much you slept that night. It might be how stressed out you are. Like, it might be what your diet. Like, it might be how regularly you trained and how well recovered you are. I actually think our body is so fucking incredible at adapting to stimulus when you expose it too regularly. But we're really taught this, like, older age as kids of, like, the tortoise versus the hare. And, like, somewhere along the way of growing up into an adult, we fuck it up and forget it and go, I'm gonna deadlift 150 mm. kilos today. Tomorrow. And I oh, went, yeah. but yesterday I was doing 120. <laughs> yeah. And funnily enough, I fucking injured myself. But that 120 was, it <laughs> came up like bar. <laughs> 150 will be fine. And I, yeah, so I actually think there's, a, there's an argument, amazing physio called Adam Meekins talked about it quite a lot. It's an argument that actually training with bad technique can be a really positive thing. Because actually you're preparing your body to fall out of alignment. And if you look at people that perform world record powerlifting squats and deadlifts, you watch their knees cave in, they round their back, they jutter, they don't injure themselves. But if I go to the gym and I pick up a bar with a rounded deadlift, I'm gonna fucking break my spine and it's gonna explode out my back like that scene from Alien. It's like, probably not, but the difference is those geezers have been training their entire fucking life for their body to build capacity to deal with those loads. So if they do go out of line, it's fine. So I really wanna think as well, like, I think you're really good at trying to encourage like breaking down the barriers of entry of getting people into the gym and exercising. I don't want people to be scared of moving wrong. Go in there and move wrong because your body can move in so many incredible ways. You look at contortionists and what they can do because A, they've got genetic capacity for it, but B, they've trained and exposed their body to it gradually. Don't be scared of fucking shit up, but just fuck it up with really lightweight <laughs> or your yeah. body weight and do it slowly and explore that. And I think you're probably less, less likely to injure yourself than if you just worried solely about technique. Like we might be the same height, but if we've got different limb lengths, our mechanics of how we pick up a barbell for a deadlift is going to be completely different. And I spent so long trying to live my life with this like turgid, erect spine 
that it's just like it's meant to move and it's like let it be do what feels good for you you know but the only way you'll know what feels good for you is if you explore it start in the first place but just start slow be the sexy tortoise because the tortoise always fucking wins you don't need to run out of the blocks because you'll probably hurt yourself i'm gonna leave you on that note that big run with the, the tortoise sexy tortoise in the hair thank you very much for coming on guys mate pleasure thanks so much to, for having me man i'm gonna intro you so you don't need to like shout out any of your stuff but for anyone watching go check out because we can't speak about your mobility stuff there's no point because how are we going to explain via words that people are listening to probably in their car yeah come have a look at me stuff um, go watch his shit yeah um, and we'll see you on the volleyball courts of shawlands i love <laughs> that mate bring it on gaz thank you so much no i appreciate everyone listening love you